0: Kevin Fishbane. I got Fishy Business, K. Fishbane. Fishy Business? Fishy Business. What I call him whenever I have him on the show. Fishy Business.
1: Bears beat writer for
0: The Athletic.
1: I just try to work hard and tell good stories. I should also note, I know the sports caster of the year for Illinois is no longer covering Illinois team, and I am not leaving to cover the Detroit Lions. All right, well, good. Kevin Fishbane talking Bears. Hey, Kevin. uh, Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. I love your name. It's a great name. Yeah, great name. On Chicago
2: Sports Radio, 670 670, the The Score. Let's talk some football. Kevin Fishbane joins us. He is on the score hotline, which is presented by Circus Sports Illinois. Download the Circus Sports app today twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 the score. And we got our first look and listen at the Bears' new
1: coordinators yesterday. What did you think? Dan, you learned a lot, didn't you? No, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> you know, it's a tough situation because we want to meet them we want to get to know them we want to learn about their philosophies but there's so many decisions that need to be made specifically at quarterback and and you still got some decisions on defense and you got defensive coordinator who's not going to be calling plays so there's going to be a a natural you know expectation bar for these you know media settings you know they're they're necessary but they could be a little awkward um you know I, i thought I, frankly I thought one of the more interesting parts was Matt Eberflus, which was learning about how thorough they made this process that was a hey we didn't I, you know we didn't really feel great about the offensive coaching staff obviously because they made a change and we want to make sure we get this right uh, doing all those interviews in person the way that they did uh you know I thought that was kind of illuminating uh and and then just hearing from Eric Washington about his experience in Chicago and, and I liked that he went ahead and said he's got ambitions to be a play caller one day. I feel like so many guys in that role will, will never say that. And I appreciate that he was kind of open and honest about it. But, yeah, if you were if you were tu- tuning into that to try to find out Shane Waldron's take on quarterbacks or, you know, even Eric Washington's take on, on the defense, we got a little bit about Montez Sweat, and that was about it.
3: I, I did think it was interesting with Waldron. As you try to kind of sift through his resume to try to figure out, like, what he might be good at the only real question where his eyes lit up is when he was talking about Geno Smith. So in, in, in referencing that, what did you think of his answer about working with quarterbacks and adaptability?
1: Yeah. Well, I think Geno is a great example because you look at Geno's journey in Seattle uh, and and how, you know, where, where he was when Shane Waldron got there and what he became for that team. Um, And and yeah, you, you kind of hit it, Lawrence adaptability was such a, theme of the day. Uh, and Geno Smith's a perfect example of that because he's just this rare quarterback that was able to resurrect his career at this point in his career. And Shane Waldron was there for it and he was coaching him and calling the plays for it. So that experience is really paramount for who Shane Waldron is as a coach and and what he can learn about himself as a play caller, Um, you know, from what, I think what Gino said publicly and also what I've heard, I think Gino Smith is a big fan of Shane Waldron. So that, that, that worked a lot. And the bears obviously believed a lot in in that. And, you know, so like, I remember asking Matt Eberflus at the end of season uh, news conference, you know, how do you find a coordinator who can work with Caleb Williams or Justin Fields? I didn't use their names, but you got, you got to, you know, be good enough to handle both. And I think every coordinator would say, oh yeah, I can handle everything, but it's, it's not that simple. And I think this whole adaptability and being able to work with Gino Smith and then work with whoever he's going to work with is, is really important to show that he can handle it.
3: And and the fact that he said it too, that this was one of the biggest criticisms of Luke Getzey is that he didn't do a good job of tailoring what he does to the talent. And it seemed Waldron wanted to make it very clear that, that he is totally okay with that. And in fact, that's how he feels the job should be done.
1: Yeah, Lawrence, and you got the sense that in these interviews, this was a main topic, that Matt Eberfuss was, you know, asking coordinators, tell me, you know, maybe I'm just spitballing here, but he said, maybe tell me about a time that you adapted, that you had to throw away what you want to do and, and draw something up because of what you had to do. Um, you know, I, I, it's funny, too, because I was thinking, you know, the one of the stories I did about Shane Waldron after he got hired was talking to some of the former high school players he coached with his first coordinator job over a decade ago. And he walked into, uh, again, this is a long time ago, granted, and a much different level of football, but he walked into a team that was a uh, drop back pass team. That's what they did. And they didn't have a quarterback. So he had to like on the fly one week before a season start design a run first quarterback scheme. A lot of RPO, a lot of just get the quarterback who was the former running back for the team on the, on the move and said, Hey, just throw it to the tight end if he's open, otherwise run. And, and that's just a little thing. I don't, I don't know if it ever came up, but I, you can gather that all these meetings with both sides of the ball that poles and Ibrafus were emphasizing adaptability and emphasizing, Hey, if this happens, if we lose this player, if we lose that player, how are you going to change your scheme to make it work?
2: And it isn't just that year's roster or that week's roster. It's within a given game. And I think that this idea of adaptability has has a micro level, too, where it may just be, look, it, like Mike Tyson would say, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And sometimes your game plan isn't going to work and you got to start drawing stuff up in the dirt and, and figuring it out. And I got that sense too, that it's also as games are going on, what you got,
1: yeah, Dan, I mean, how many times over the past few play callers past, I mean, shoot, how many play callers have we all seen in this town where y- you clearly see what the plan is? And by halftime, the plan's not working. They come out in the third quarter and, oh, it's the same plan. And mm. guess what? It's still not working. So, yeah, that's going to be critical for this group, especially, too, if they have a rookie quarterback. Right. Because when you've got a rookie quarterback who the league is still going to be trying to find out things about, you're still going to be trying to learn what he does best you're going to have to adjust a lot because you still want to be able to win. You know, like it's, it's part of, it's going to be about growing, developing your quarterback, but this is a team that's going to, for their sake, hopefully be built to be a playoff contender. And you can't just sit there and be like, well, we're just trying to get this rookie quarterback better and, and, and let him try this scheme and this scheme." No, you got to win games and you're going to have to be able to adjust on the fly.
3: What did you think about Eberflus overall yesterday? Because I felt like we watched a more confident coach than what we've seen previously.
1: Yeah, Lawrence, I, I I got a I got a similar sense. You know, third year, um, new, new, new year, new fluuse, new look. Um I think he's more comfortable in this position. I think he's I'm I'm sure he was thrilled that the setup was he didn't have to take any questions. And he can do that, you know, next week with us in Indianapolis. Uh but yeah, I think this is a guy who gets it and also has been empowered by the front office. Uh, and has a big opportunity in front of him. So yeah, I felt that too. And I was trying to think back to, you know, some of these coaches, you know, unfortunately I haven't covered a ton of coaches who've gotten into year four. Actually, I think only one, that'd be Matt Nagy. Um, But I think back to year three, like I remember Matt Nagy year three for the beginning was like, it was like the summer of Nagy because they'd had that great 2018 season. And then, you know, you talk about Dan, you get hit in the mouth, everything changed in 2019, right? So this is a little bit different because this team's on the upswing. So it's if this thing gets going, and we've always wondered about it, Matty Rufus, like if he starts feeling confident, if he feels good about the direction of this team, if they start winning games, can we get you know more inside Matty Rufus, get to get a better sense of who this guy is and get to know his personality a little bit more and and see what a confident floose is like?
2: I just don't think there's much there. I really don't I, I I think this is kind of what you what you see is what you get for better or for worse. I'm now we're just the entire fandom waits. And we're talking about all these uncertainties. And we're we're looking for every tiny drib or drab of information and uh, who's unfollowing whom on social media what if anything as we get to the combine and we look at that as here's an artificial marking point deadline we're asking the same questions when are we going to know something material about anything
1: (laughs) um well we're going to talk to ryan poles on next week and wouldn't it be great for everybody if he started things out and said hey guys here's the direction we're going to quarterback just pointing it out there and any team that's listening here's what we're going to do and and the you know market is open let's go i don't think that's going to happen on tuesday uh, I think if we recall last year, we didn't get a definitive, uh, the number one picks for sale when we had our combine meeting with the general manager. By the end of the combine, we all got home, we turned on our phones and computers on Monday morning, and suddenly the Bears were had the number one yeah, pick was, was for sale. Yeah, and and then by Friday it was moved. So I think that this is going to – and that made sense too, Dan, if you think about it, because they did sit down with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and all those quarterbacks, and they probably wanted to wait through the end of the week and see what other teams thought of those quarterbacks. So maybe it's a similar thing here where they're going to want to talk to some of these quarterbacks. But I think if you've made a decision on Justin Fields, I don't know – I can see the trade talks obviously would would heat up in Indianapolis. I don't think you lose any leverage by just saying, like, we've decided we're going to draft a quarterback and we're going to, and and we want to do what's best for Justin, what's best for the team. And that's going to be a big part of our week here in Indianapolis. Again, I don't think it's going to happen. It'd be nice for all of us to just get, it'd be probably nice for Justin too, to get that. But who, who knows? I mean, my guess is by the end of the combine week, however it will come out, we'll have a better sense of where this thing's going. How did you read
3: what Justin had to say about how he feels about all of this?
1: Yeah, Lawrence, I was trying to, um, Like, I can't even imagine what it's like for him. I mean, like, I'm sitting here. I'm, I don't know, 12 years older than Justin Fields. I'm on my phone constantly. I read everything that people, like, if people are in my mentions or in my comments, I read a lot of it. I see it. And, like, here's Justin Fields, the face of the franchise of the Chicago Bears. And he said it every single time the Bears tweet something. He scrolls down. It's Caleb or Justin. Caleb or Justin. I could could not even imagine what that's like and you're not you can't tell somebody in his generation just put your phone away um so i think this is hard i think it's difficult and that's why i'm hopeful for him for his sake um i guess selfishly for ours that there'll be resolution soon um and i appreciate his honesty about that that it's been you know that, that he just wants to know either is he staying or is he going uh and i and i do think that ryan Poles is going to I think he'll operate in this as respectful as he can with also knowing he's got to do what's best for the bears. I, this is just, I mean, guys, this is just such a unique situation. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's probably wearing on fields, probably wearing on Ryan poles too. And, and, but he probably needs to get to the combine. I imagine to be able to figure out exactly how this is going to go. Do you think that he feels
3: any pressure? Cause we we've kind of all talked about it and maybe too flippantly, like, they can't pass up the uh, the opportunity on making a pick at number one two years in a row. I, I wonder if Ryan Pohl sees it that way, or, or or if he does look at it and say, well, each situation was different, so you can't necessarily connect them.
1: It's a great question, Lawrence. And from getting to know Ryan polls over the past couple of years, he – I don't think he's faced by that. I don't think he's going to operate like that. I mean, he he generally has been a very like, he, like I remember the 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 scouting report of him coming in was this guy's very serious. He's a very serious guy, and he's he's you know he said it too when we, I think the question was asked last month about um the the support Justin Fields had. I'm just using that as an example, and he said I can't really allow that to cloud the decision I'm going to make. I can't, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was like, that's great. And I'm so happy about it, but I need to do what's best for the team. So with that kind of mantra in mind, I imagine that's not going to, I think it's a natural thing for him to think about, but I don't think it's going to necessarily, um, you know, drive that decision. We can all talk about it, as you said. And I think you sit there and you'd be like, well, if you keep Justin Fields, you're passing on Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, and you're passing now on Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels. Uh, and Drake May and J.J. McCarthy, like that's a lot of quarterbacks you're passing mm-hmm. on or a guy who hasn't won enough for you. And, and that's going to be the narrative about it. He doesn't seem like a guy who's going to let the narrative rattle him, um, but he does seem like somebody who and this goes back to our conversation about timing is going to make sure he does everything possible to, you know, reduce all risk. Um, I'll tease. uh, I got a story coming out Sunday where I talked to a few former personnel guys just about how do you figure out this whole idea of the person, right? The the finding out who Caleb Williams is as a person, find out who Jaden Daniels is as a person, because that's like the the tape's a tape and and it's pretty darn good for those guys. Um, So this is the next step. And everybody I talk to, it's like, it all come. They they give me their tips. They give me the questions they ask. They tell me the different people they talk to. And then every one of them said, in the end, it is an inexact science, and you just don't know. And it's so challenging. Hmm. And I think for Ryan Poles, he's just going to have to do everything he can so that when it's all said and done, he makes his pick. He can have as little regret as possible in the moment, and then just hope it all works out. When do we get a
2: Jalen Johnson tag? uh announcement or the or the use of that to negotiate something that happens out of nowhere
1: yeah dan i would guess that the two sides will meet in indianapolis this next week and and maybe see where they're at and and if they're still far away the tag might come at the deadline um which i believe is maybe march 5th and uh and then and then they can get back to the to the conversation table the other thing for jalen johnson which is what I, I, I was like, pull, I pulled up our, our uh, top free agents list and cornerbacks. So he, we've we got him eighth among all free agents. Legereus Sneed 13th. Then you go all the way to 67th for the next cornerback. So that, that's an interesting situation for Jalen Johnson and his representation that he's the guy. And there aren't a lot of great corners available in free agency. I don't think there's like that clear cut corner for a top 10, in the draft. So I I don't know how that's going to impact the price and, and if the bears are going to be able to get there this week. Um, But yeah, that's where, that's where the tag comes in play where if they can't agree on something, an extension uh, before that deadline, that that's probably what we'll see it be used. Fish, you're the best man. We appreciate you. All
2: right. Take care guys. That's Kevin Fishbane, AKA fishy business you've been uh, sending us into the group chat a bunch of Kevin Durant related content lately and I know that this has been a subject
3: yeah I, is- I I wanted to talk about this because it, it it's sports not sports a little bit like i I want to talk about the the concept and I guess the the canard of leadership when it comes to sports how we perceive it, how it's talked about, and whether we should change the way that it's talked about like are we are we right and wrong in the ways that we look at it. it was, I, I think that there, I think there's some interesting stuff that Kevin Durant had to say about it, and I wanted to, to run it by you and kind of see where we're at with this. We'll okay. do that next here on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, Midday, midday 10 to, 10 to, 10 to 2, 2. 2 on
2: Sports Radio 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. In Odyssey, Station. In Odyssey Station. Odyssey Station.
0: I just feel like a lot of people that's on TV that don't ever come to the gym, don't ever come to games. It's hard for them to speak on what I do when they don't, they, don't, they not in here. So it's just part of TV. You know, they needed something to fill the segment up. You know, so they talk about some negative. You know, but if you're not in the gym. I don't respect your opinion. You're not in the gym with me. That's just what it is. That's Kevin
3: Durant deflecting some criticisms
2: of his leadership.
3: Now, I think that's a bit reductive of KD, which is one of people's problems like the way that he sometimes tends to lash out. And then there's like the the lashing out that happened last night, that wasn't his. Like a fan called him a bitch on his way out for warmups last night. And he walked over to the fan. And then the fan was, oh, yeah, you know, just messing around. And then the guy's wife or girlfriend kept, like, holding her hand out, like, ah, well, let's be friends. And KD was like, you guys need to be better. And security was going to kick the people out, and KD told them not to. Yeah, I thought he went out of his way to be nice. He did. you know the other thing that is kind of a funny thing? Like like people, a funny thing, I, I saw people calling that like a microcosm of Twitter interactions with athletes because, um the guy this was all caught on a video. you could look it up on on Twitter. You could hear the guy say hey i I host a sports podcast, and it's like, dude, really?" and that's when Katie initially walked away and just kind of like like now you're trying you're gonna try to book this guy he, right, like. Or like you called him a bitch and you're going to try to... uh-huh, or, or try to say that you have some sort of knowledge you could drop on him in that moment, please. And then KD walked back and then was like, hey, told the security, leave just him. Leave, just yeah. leave these two idiots here and let them enjoy the game and think about what it is that they've done. But And there are times when I feel like KD is is often a little... He's too sensitive and, and his reactions are too over the top for the the transgressions against him he actually in that case handled
2: himself better in real life than he has online well, online yeah
3: online he would have just gone after you but i i really i love him as a player and it's hard not to he's it's an all-time great he he's maybe the most pure scorer that we've seen since whenever gervin yeah, it's so weird that that's exactly the name that was in my head he's so great and he can do so many different things but he's not all things to all people let's go back to All Star Charles Barkley was talking about KD and the concept
0: of leadership he's got to be your, your mental leader and your vocal leader to a certain degree no disrespect to Kevin Kevin's a follower he's not a leader He's proven that on all his stops. Booker's a hell of a player also. I think he's going to have to take the initiative and take this team to the next level because, man, Kevin's a hell of a player. I never going to say anything bad about him, but i say saying the same thing with Boston. One of you guys has to step forward. He has to step forward. And for me, for Phoenix to be successful, it has to be Booker.
3: Okay, so obviously Charles has a relationship with Phoenix and the Suns, and he wants them to do well. I think that sometimes the concept of leadership is a little too binary for me. That's well, also the NBA alpha
2: dog model, too, that Barkley was a product of a time when every team had an obvious superstar leader.
3: And his best friend at the time was noted for being... A psychopath, like as far as leadership goes, which is why now people are going to go on tour in Australia and talk about how much of a psychopath he was. When it comes to KD or anyone, I, I think that leadership can be a lot of things. And I think that we have in our heads because of guys like Jordan and Kobe. We have in our head... Crazy people. Yeah, like what leadership is supposed to look like. And and then you have a guy who people respect, like Barkley, saying, yeah, that's exactly the way that it works. He would never say that about Jokic. Jokic isn't out here like, I'll choke a bit. You know, like he's not out here doing that stuff with his teammates. He just plays. What are you saying about Giannis? Well, I mean, Giannis, I know this year's a little different. Giannis, over the last couple of years, has shown some of that tendency, but he's or he's shown in he a fe- negative
2: way, or he feels he has to try to show it, and he's forced into it. Tim Duncan was one of the one of the greatest players of all time on a dynasty, was the most important player on a dynasty. Well, how was Tim Duncan? Out there telling people you got to do, throw, whipping a ball at somebody's head in practice or something like that. Come
3: on. So, so we ran across this. Which, which pod was this, Ray? Boardroom Cover Story. Thanks, studs. The, the boardroom podcast, and it was a very relaxing, it looked, looked great. Like it, was, it was him and the host were just sitting outside, like by a fire, like just kind of talking. And Kevin Durant offered this when it comes to the thought of him and leadership.
0: I'm not as charismatic as my peers. I don't have a personality that's like fit for TV, like my peers. And a lot of those stories of what we talk about don't get spoken about in the media. And that's just really what it is. It's like, you gotta sell what you're doing as well. And I haven't sold it enough, you know? And I feel like, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I need to. I don't feel like I want people to call me a leader, but I also don't want people to say I'm not one either. You know what I'm saying? Because and they don't see what goes on behind the scenes or what I talk about or my intentions or the relationships that I built with all my my teammates and support staff. But when guys like that say that, I just got to chalk it up to them just not being aware of what goes on instead of, like, wanting to, you know push a narrative for myself maybe not a narrative or tell the truth for myself I, I, I you know or, or expose the truth for how great of a leader I am I don't feel like it's necessary I'll just chalk it up to those guys not being aware of who I am yeah
3: I think that's some really introspective stuff from Kevin Durant because he's an introvert that's
2: it boils down to the fact that when he's talking the use of the term charismatic, he doesn't live as externally, socially, as others do, which is fine. It's just a different way of processing information, a different way of reading the world around you. And I think you could do worse than look at him as an example of how to go about your,
3: your professional life. Yes. It's, I think a lot about, like, Jose Abreu and I know that the White Sox aren't a place that you should be looking for leadership because there doesn't seem to be a lot of great. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of players did themselves a disservice. Dan, there's the video, by the way, of the yokels from last night. Um, A lot of players for the White Sox did themselves a disservice by not following a example. And. Some people are not built to be the, I'm going to rally the troops. Some people are. Some folks lead by, here's the work that I'm doing. And the subsequent results of that work. You don't have to be told. there. And I'll, I'll give you another example. This is kind of what Kevin Durant's talking about. But, but I think it speaks to the point. DeMar DeRozan's leadership, while it isn't always like the rah-rah stuff, it is him going with Io down to champagne. It is him inviting P-Will out to L.A. This is how I work. This might work for you. I think that we make leadership too simplistic in sports, and I and I think that's for a lot of reasons. I think that movies have done us a disservice in that regard when we're talking about the actual people versus what it looks like in a movie when it's scripted and it can be cleaner for us to understand. I just I really felt I I felt what Kevin Durant was saying. And I probably fit into the category that he's talking about. That's the point that I made about last week about
2: Jordan ruining it for a lot of people, because people don't realize that he's, he's a sociopath and that people thought that that was normal and right. And okay. And that's the archetype that you have to be a total maniac human shark existing to consume everything around you and humiliate everyone in your path. when, that's not normal. Right. And somebody like LeBron
3: or like Durant, who just has a, a
2: different kind of personality.
3: I, I think LeBron's got a little bit more of the the archetype leadership thing in him, But, it, but
2: not in his game. Not, not in the no, way No, it's, it's he, definitely not in his game. It's not in how he plays. I,
3: I actually, like, I, I heard Johnny Manziel talking about... Because, you know, Johnny Manziel's going on, on these tours and talking about his life and do and blow... And he was saying how when he was at his lowest point, LeBron would come over every weekend and like hang out and try to motivate him and play video games with him. And he said, he he basically was like, how messed up was I that my idol came over and was trying to help me and I did not take the help? I think people get it backwards on Kobe, too. The mama mentality is one thing. And obviously, like, the the stories of, yeah, you know, I ran ran my shoulder into Powell's chest in the Olympics just to let everyone know. Right. People love that. They love to hold that up. What they don't talk about until we get to a Kobe ceremony is the type of friendship that Kobe fostered with Powell where Powell is standing in as the de facto dad. To Kobe's kids. It wasn't because he put put a shoulder into his chest. It's because Kobe had invested time in Pal and, and vice versa. Where Uncle Powell is now is a hashtag of this is how you're supposed to be your brother's keeper. But we we tend to just make it very binary. Either you lead like this. Or you're not a good leader. And and there's a sliding scale on this. You know, I've like in this arena, it's very different, obviously. I've gravitated more towards people who you might think are less demonstrative on the microphone. And I've been like, oh, I wonder how they do that. Cause I kind of know how to do the other thing. How do they how do they soft sell a a message that they want to get across? you know like, like we were talking about like Dave Baum for example, or working with Michael Kim like he never rate Michael never raises his voice and I do a lot. So like what do you take and you draw from that? I just I really I appreciate Kevin using this as an opportunity to, Push back firmly against what Barkley's saying, but also offering a different interpretation of what leadership is and what it can be. But I think your point about him being an introvert is significant because it might not be in you to sell back your accomplishments. And so, what do you do when you know that you've done the work behind the scenes, but people? won't give you credit for it, and in fact, they penalize you because you didn't sell it back. That's Lawrence Holmes. I'm Dan Bernstein.
2: Special guest going to join us next, Michael O'Brien, the Sun-Times high school sports editor. we got a couple of things to discuss. There was the whole back page story about what's going on with Kenwood basketball, and there is a new area football coach whose name you might know. That's next on the score.
0: Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes,
2: middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Stuff is going on in Chicago. Let's. Get the most knowledgeable person on to talk about what's happening in some of these high school sports controversies. One, a big one on a potential state champion basketball team. Michael O'Brien, the Sun-Times high school sports editor who's on Twitter, at Michael S. O'Brien, joins us on the SCORE hotline. That is presented by Circa Resort and Casino, circalasvegas.com, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 the SCORE. Hey, Michael, how are you?
3: Good. How are you guys? We are doing really well. Can you catch the, the, the listener of this show up? What's going on with Kenwood basketball?
4: Yeah, it's been an interesting couple of days. Um, basically, this started apparently years ago when a, a player transferred into Kenwood and another IHSA school complained. It triggered an investigation. That's an important note. The Illinois High School Association doesn't have some investigative enforcement branch they aren't out trying to catch cheaters they wait until a school complains and then they try to do something about it Um, in this case it was a CPS school Kenwood so CPS has an independent branch called the Office of the Inspector General and that office investigates stuff so This investigation had been going on and it came to light that several Kenwood players, five players, had residency violations, didn't live in the Kenwood area. Um, And three coaches apparently did things like falsify utility bills and other things to fake the addresses. Um, There's a lot of back and forth now between the Illinois High School Association and CPS about who knew what when and who did what when. but, But it's pretty clear that Everybody knew by the end of January at the IHSA and CPS, no one did anything about it. Uh, Kenwood is allowed to keep playing. They even played in the city championship game in front of the mayor. The mayor was doing the color commentary on the game. His kid goes to Kenwood and apparently all of CPS and the Illinois high school association knew there were five ineligible kids playing on Monday. The IHSA decides we can't let them play in the state tournament So they come in and rule the players ineligible. Kenwood doesn't like this, of course. They appeal, the IHSA actually, sorry, they kicked them out of the whole state tournament. The IHSA, Kenwood appeals to the IHSA board. The board says, fine, you can play, but not with these ineligible players and coaches. Kenwood takes that to court yesterday. A Cook County circuit court judge says, no, these kids can't play. Um, The the ineligible kids. So two hours after the court case, the Kenwood team, which now consists of just four players from varsity, plus the sophomores they brought up, plays in a rescheduled state tournament game, wins by like 40 points. And tonight they're going to play in a regional championship game. Wow.
3: The timing of the, the ruling from the IHSA, is it fair to question that?
4: Okay. Um, the IHSA has, I think it's all fair question. Yes. Um, the way that it works is the IHSA has a carve out in their rules and they allow CPS to police itself. They're the only district that's allowed that because it's so big. So the IHSA is saying we waited for CPS to do something because it's their domain and they never did it. And so the reason the IHSA steps up on Monday morning is because that's when their tournament was beginning. And they're like, we can't let them into our thing, no matter what CPS is doing. And both of those organizations are now going back and forth over who knew what when. And CPS is saying they can't talk about this at all because the investigation isn't final and all this stuff. So it, it's pretty goofy. But, yeah, the timing for everything is, is pretty crazy considering that they've known since at least late January.
3: And to be clear, Kenwood is one of the state's best teams, correct?
4: They were the Times preseason number one team um, of the kids ineligible, one is a 6'11 kid uh, signed with Arizona State. One is a six six kid signed with Japal. The other one is maybe the best junior in the entire state. He's a 6'7, 6'8 shooting guard. I mean, yeah, they're loaded. They're so good that they could still win tonight. They could even still win a sectional without these kids.
3: How, how worried are opponents that they're facing? Because th- that would be... I would I figure it like as I'm thinking they play Oak Lawn. Is that right tonight? The, the, yes. If, yes. If I'm Oak Lawn, I'm like, wait a minute. Who am I playing against? My scouting has been all backwards because I was worried about one team and now I'm getting another team. And the, the idea that they could retroactively be stripped of any sort of win, it seems bizarre.
4: You know, it, it's. It's all bizarre. And Elkalon has to go to Kenwood, which I'm guessing is going to be quite the hornet's nest. It's already a little loud gym, but now with them feeling the world is against them, um, it's, and yeah, the, the whole thing, it's completely wild. Um, now, its it's been known for a long time that most, a majority of the public league stars were living in the suburbs. This is not a new thing. It's new that someone actually did something about it. And, so, it, and it's not even necessarily
2: just basketball either in the, some of these cases.
4: Not, not at all. No, it, the same goes on in football, for sure. I wouldn't know much about the other sports. However, CPS football stars aren't the state's biggest stars. Correct. CPS basketball stars are. So it's a much different um, scenario. And one basketball player, as you know, can change the sure. world. One football player can't, so it, the impact seems much greater in basketball. Yeah,
2: there's grumbling about baseball too, and I know nobody cares yeah. about that. But that's uh, you hear coaches like, oh yeah, yeah, well, Kenwood's got guys that aren't, you know. So that's it's it's been going on forever.
4: Yeah, it's definitely something. I think a lot of people will be happy about this and wonder if it'll, you know, the crackdowns will continue. But CPS's attitude and actions toward it have been interesting. Um, because really they haven't done anything and we're waiting to, they just keep waiting on this report. That may have been this investigation that may have been going on for two years until I guess these kids are going to graduate high school and then tell us all about it. Uh, I think that's the, the biggest concern. Well, then I saw the
2: name Mike Irvin there. I'm like, well, okay, well that's gotta be an Irvin. Right, because it's that you talk about the the royal A name. family of, of Southside sure. coaches. You've got you know, McLaughlin Irvin and Byron Irvin and Lance Irvin, and now Mike. So with connected to the Mac Irvin Fire AAU squad, you just wonder where what what the reach is of their empire.
4: Yeah, Nick Irvin, who was the coach at Morgan Park, he was Iowa right. Des coach. He is now at Arizona State. He's an assistant there. Um, Cindy Irvin, the sister um, of the bunch, is actually an administrator at CPS Sports um, as well and has been for a long time. So it's an extremely well-connected, powerful Chicago basketball family. It was funny, last night, um, you know, Mike Irvin was not there, but there were Irvins on both baselines. (laughs) Byron was at one baseline and Lance Irvin was on the other. Um, Still, you know, uh, fully powerful in the gyms. It'll be interesting to see uh, the scene tonight.
3: Well, Michael, we really appreciate you jumping on with us and, and giving some clarity to it. This is fascinating. I I might see you tonight because I don't live very far, so I I might walk over because this seems like
4: it's going to be a thing. Yeah, it won't be dull. Oakland has a very exciting junior too, so <laughs> it should be a fun game.
2: And what do you know about Robbie Gold being the head coach of Rolling
4: Meadows football now? That, that I, I didn't see that coming. I did not either. <laughs> About 7.30 this morning, I got a tip, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I, I so I called around, and, yeah, it, it's happening. You know, it's, it's very exciting for sure. And we've had – there's been a lot of success with former NFL players yes. com- coming back locally, even in basketball. Ty Streets is a great coach at, at Thornton. Um, it hasn't really been the case so much with NBA players coming back, but NFL guys have done a really nice job. Jason McKee at Carmel, you know, even Jordan Lynch at um, – um, Mount Carmel. So yeah, it's been a very Our successful- guy, Matt yeah, Bowen. Come
2: on, can you not mention Matt Bowen. <laughs> that's right.
3: Just an assistant. Just an assistant. That's true. That's <laughs> true. He's not the head guy, but he's doing he's doing big things. Uh Michael, you're awesome, man. We appreciate your time.
4: Yeah, good to be here. Always a wild time in Chicago High School sports.
3: <laughs>
2: yes, it is. That is Michael O'Brien, Suntimes High School Sports that's
4: Editor. Nuts.
3: Yeah, like, that's, yarr-
2: like, that's that's wild. Is,
3: you go over there tonight. Like Oh, well, we pulled up a bunch of dudes from the sophomore team to just field a roster. And we're playing in a sectional championship. Jason Leisure
2: is going to join us next. And I'd like to say we know what we're going to talk about, but I'd be lying because we rarely do when he comes on. It's the beauty of him.